Addiction is a taboo topic, but one that needs more light shed on it. Recent worldwide statistics show that 5.5% of the population aged 15 to 64 have used illicit drugs at least once in the past year. Drug abuse is highest among those who are 18 to 25. Nicole Odom-Hardnett is the CEO of Focus Point Solutions, which operates four Focus Point behavioral clinics in the Baltimore area. She works with individuals who struggle with substance abuse. She sheds awareness to destigmatize addiction, anxiety, depression, and other diagnoses, which are too often ignored. She also specializes in working with blended families. Nicole has written and published three books on dating and blended families. Please welcome Nicole. Hi, thank you for having me, Debbie. It's definitely a pleasure being here. Thank you for being here too. The statistics are really staggering and yet they don't reflect the true measure of addiction. So how much do you think addiction has risen since COVID? Oh my gosh, it's grown drastically. It's definitely grown drastically since COVID. You know, with people being trapped in, I would say definitely trapped in the house with the, you know, the restrictions from going outside and so on and so forth, you know, people have turned to other things, things that they probably wouldn't normally turn to. They've been isolated and a number of other things. So they've turned to, you know, drugs and, you know, a number of other things. Addiction is so complicated with so many factors playing into it. It has no demographic or background or country or preference. It's everywhere. So how can you describe what it means when a person is addicted? When someone is addicted, they have an ongoing urge or craving and no matter what, nothing is going to stop them. That means they will beg, they will steal, they will borrow, they will lie, they will cheat. They will do anything to get to whatever it is, whether it's that that drug or whatever they are addicted to. And we think of addiction all the time as, you know, you know, marijuana or cocaine or food. Sometimes it could be gambling, shopping, alcohol, of course, or any anything that someone does consistently without thinking of the long-term effects of it. So if someone has a shopping addiction, they are spending without or shopping without thinking of the ramifications of their financial means, meaning they have rent or mortgage to pay, they may have tuition, So they're shopping and they're not thinking of the outcomes of paying those financial mainstream expenses. 
And usually when you see the statistics on addiction, they seem to mostly be filtered around drugs. But I mean, the other addictions seem to be gambling is another big it's huge it's, it's huge and most people don't think they don't take that as seriously people are losing their homes they're losing their jobs because of their gambling addiction it's a serious thing and usually if you have one addiction that has gotten out of control it leads to another and mm-hmm. then it leads to another so it, it's like a, a Circular effect, it you know, one gets another and another. So you know you have to, you know, get control of it before it goes too far. But usually, that's not the case. It gets out of control, and when you have these addictions and it just gets out of whack, people are really losing everything. Well, I can actually add a story to that because a really close friend of mine had a gambling addiction and I lost touch with him for years. And a friend, another friend of ours had phoned me up and said, did you know he died? I said, no. She said, I found an obituary of him, but there was really nothing in it. And they found him on the side of a highway of all places, Hope, BC. And he had a business card in his pocket for another friend of ours who was a a lawyer because we were all involved in the same organization. And anyway, he, he obviously killed himself. And, but he, before that, and the reason there was nothing in his obituary is because he had lost his family which was shocking to me in itself because they were so close he had kids and i mean his wife (laughs) i was there that night when she had to go to the hospital to have one of their babies so it's it was so shocking that he lost his family like they just wouldn't have anything to do with him after that so the gambling side of it is, but you see the advertising everywhere. I mean, it's, it basically assaults you. I don't know about where you are, but here in Canada, and, and the most ridiculous thing is that's only legal. The gambling that they're advertising on TV ad nauseum is only legal in one province, but yet we're seeing it <laughs> national advertising on it. And it's literally every other ad. And it drives you crazy to see it because, A, you can't. It's illegal for you to gamble if you're from another province. But also, the people that are addicted, how do they ever get away from it? You know, it, it just like drugs, there has to be, you have to, you have to be ready. You know, the, the individuals that come into my clinics... You know, when we get a counselor, we have counselors, we always say some people are going to come to us and they're going to be ready. Some are not. They're going to come in, they're going to do an assessment, and they're going to sit through the assessment. They may come in and and hit a group or two, and then they're going to leave. They'll come back because they may shop around. They may go to another clinic or two. And they'll, then they'll leave them and they'll come back. 
and then it, it, they'll keep doing it and they'll keep doing it. And eventually either something will happen and they'll just be tired. And it's just like any other addiction. It's a light bulb or something will happen in their life. And they're like, I can't do this any longer. And it's nothing that a counselor can do. It's nothing a therapist can do. It's them themselves. They have to be ready. It's that moment in time. It's just something within them that, and we have to be ready when they're ready to give them whatever message, whatever the group topic is, they're going to have that aha moment. And we have to be ready for them. And there's the rub, right? Because until that happens, nobody can do anything. And it must be so frustrating. And also how hopefully they get to that moment before the drug kills them. Right. Right. And, and every day, you know, our, our counselors are like, okay, when are they going to get it? When, when, and I know it's, it's frustrating for, for my team to say, okay, when is Mr. Such and such or Mrs. Such and such going to really get it because they're out there all the time. And, or, you know, if, a you know significant other or a a daughter or someone is coming in or you know has permission to speak on their mom or dad's behalf they're like look i'm tired of mom or dad you know being out there we're worried about them and it's nothing we can do we can't make them do anything it's up to them you don't know how many times we've explained this to family when they, you know, bring them in or they call and say, Hey, my mom needs to come in and they need to do this. We can't make anybody do anything. It's ultimately up to the individual. All we can do is provide the message for them. And hopefully it's that message that day that's going to resonate with them and their spirit it's going to stick with them while they're out you know getting high or whatever that they're going to have that aha moment mm-hmm. it's be like oh my gosh i have to get back in the focus point because you know mr whatever gave me this message <laughs> so although i i, I kind of doubt that the nancy reagan don't say no <laughs> commercials worked (laughs) you you know uh, I I doubt it but you know you never know (laughs) Uh, so how else does this like what can families do I mean you, you hear about tough love obviously if they're becoming violent and stealing stuff you you can't have people in your home that are doing that but the guilt i imagine that surrounds these families that have to deal with this has been has to be devastating you know you know i can speak on it from a personal nature because i've had family members you know very very close to me you know i've had my own child you know mm-hmm. who's been in recovery now for it's been clean for six years now. Hmm. 
I, I don't believe in enabling. I'm not an enabler in any kind of way. I don't, I didn't enable my child. I, I don't enable my clients. The stealing, it, like I said, they beg, borrow, steal. That's why some of them are disconnected, disassociated with their family and family has just, okay, you're on your own now. And that's why you see them out there sometimes. That's the reason why they're on the street under bridges. And that, that would be sometimes the reason why, because the family wants nothing to do with them because they steal, they beg, they borrow, they lie. And that, that would be it. It, it happens because they feel they need that drug. It's just like them needing to eat the same thing. It's a disease. So again, you can't, when they say that they need money, okay, what do you need money for? They say they need money for food. Okay, I'll buy you food. That's your answer. You can't just give them money. If you give them money nine times out of 10, they're going to use it to buy drugs. So you just bought, you just bought them something to get high with or mm. something, a drink if they're an alcoholic. So that would, that was what I did in my situation. He said he was hungry. That's what I did. <laughs> so, so do you see in your practice, do you see a difference if it's a blended family, single parent family or any other family dynamic, or is it just the same no matter what? I work with mostly blended families. I've had some single individuals come to me because they keep mostly women because they keep meeting the same type of men. Uh, so when you keep meeting the same type of men, usually it's the, you know, the places that you're going, the signals that you're giving those type of situations. So I help you, uh, stop doing the things that you're doing and prepare yourself a lot better in those situations. What percentage of the people that are living on the streets do you think are addicted? You know, I would probably say maybe about 70%. And I would say the other 30 would be strictly mental health and it would be by choice. Wow. Wow. So we, I see a lot of meth addicts every day. There seems to be more and more of them lately. They seem to have a certain look and behavior about them that comes with that drug. It's so devastating, but is it really the worst drug you can take? I mean, I know we know fentanyl kills and it gets mixed in with a lot of other drugs, but is there a worse drug or are they kind of all the same? The results are the same, no matter what you do. Well, in my opinion, methadone is just, it's, it's legal drug. Um, so as far as the worst drug you can take, well, fentanyl, of course, if you take the smallest dosage of it, you, it can kill you right away. 
the difference between fentanyl and methadone is that, you know, methadone is, of course, monitored in stages or doses, but fentanyl is not monitored at all. You know, you have people that's giving it to you randomly. You never know when you're going to get it. And that's the scariest part of that is that someone can slip it in at any time. So that's the danger of buying your drugs, of course, off the street. It could be in anything, anywhere, at any time, and any any amount of it. So anyone getting high and they think they're just getting some, you know, marijuana off the street, you could have, you know, some sprinkles of fentanyl in your marijuana. And, you know... Wow. God bless you. It's kind of like Russian roulette. Exactly. Right. You think you're going to, you know, just party and be okay. And you just never know. And, and it's a good point you brought up because it is a big problem. We're seeing overdoses galore in both our countries. And it's a, you know, it's almost like an epidemic. Just about as many people are dying in Canada from, from overdoses as there are from COVID. So there, I know law enforcement and healthcare industries are kind of at a loss of what to do, but is there anything you can do until that person gets off the drug? No, there's nothing you can do. And they're, you know, it's, and they're using all types of things to get high with, you know, in some places, you know, the LSD is back. PCP is back, <laughs> you know, in some places they're still using, they're using horse tranquilizers to get high. So it, it's the, the possibilities are completely endless. You know, the worst, the worst thing I can remember hearing about when I was younger was using a piece of bread and spraying Lysol in the bread to get the alcohol on the other side. That was like the worst thing I ever heard of. <laughs> you know, my, my lab will tell me some of the most random things that they've seen in a drug test. It's just ridiculous. And I am, you know, I'm like, what? I, sometimes I just, I'm just like, but it all stems down to mental health, right? A lot of it. Most they go of hand it. in they go hand in hand. Or find getting tied up with the wrong crowd is one way, and then mental health is the other. Although I suppose if you were well, I don't know if you could say if you're in the right frame of mind, you wouldn't get tied up with the wrong crowd because I mean we how many of us marry the wrong dudes? So <laughs> Right. Like, what were you thinking? <laughs> the divorce ratio is like 50% anyway. So exactly. what the... <laughs> exactly. Like, what is the right frame of mind? <laughs> yeah. But we're not addicted to drugs. So there right. we go. <laughs> Doesn't mean right. we have tried it, but... <laughs> but that was before I met my ex. But <laughs> Same here. <laughs> still, it was, it's just... Yeah, so... And you right. look at the healthcare industry. I mean, we barely have enough. It's getting, it's Canada's healthcare is great, but it's also getting stretched and the access is getting 
scarier because of the, the pandemic the last few years, but so much stress on our healthcare workers and same in the US and everywhere around the world. So when you have such a stress already on the system and the first thing, it's like schools, the first thing they cut is athletics or, or you know, stuff kids can get involved in. And in the healthcare industry, the first thing they cut is mental health access. So until I guess they take mental health seriously, we're not going to get rid of the drugs, are we? No, not at all. Until people really understand that the two go pretty much hand in hand or get a, a really good understanding of that, how they go together, then I think we will be much better off. And also when the law enforcement, especially in the U.S., I don't know how it is in Canada, if they have better training with how to deal with those people who are suffering from mental health when they get those calls. I know we have just implemented the 988 system to handle those calls that come in for, you know, mental health now. So, which is good that we have a good, a big call center to handle those calls. But when someone goes out, meaning someone, meaning law enforcement goes out to actually physically handle those individuals. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't know if they have the resources to have someone trained or to do more training for those law enforcement officers to handle those individuals. Because I've seen some very bad situations where they weren't handled in in a delicate situation and they've gone very bad. When someone was in crisis and it's just gone bad. Yeah. It, it's, I don't know if there's much training up here either. And, and really the police, the discussion is that the police are probably not equipped mm-hmm. to handle these situations, but there hasn't really been any alternative offered. Right. And even if, even if the police or whoever can, pick up these people that are in this situation, there's nowhere to take them. <laughs> you know, you're, you're so right because I, some of the emergency rooms, they're not equipped to handle the behavioral health. They don't have behavioral health units. So that that's a whole nother discussion. <laughs> <laughs> It, it, it's just that. And the mental health population is just growing. Yeah. COVID it, has helped that too, right? Yeah, definitely. definitely. And so with it growing, with the mental health population growing, of course, the whole substance use population is going to grow because everyone is trying to self-medicate. Mm. Erase the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, there's probably some good thoughts in that. <laughs> which we they, see, the, we see the attraction. Yeah, which you know your problems are still going to be. Yeah. There, you know, after you, you know, you come down from, you know, that momentary 
feeling good or those couple of hours or however long it is. But, you know, it's temporary. It's, yeah, it's temporary. <laughs> and I, you, sometimes your problems are even worse. Yeah. You know, yeah. I, I don't know, but it's just the everything is growing and the system isn't getting bigger because we still don't have the units in place. We don't have the people, enough people in place. Like I am struggling to find therapists. I, I just can't get enough therapists. Yeah. I'm always hiring counselors. I'm not in a shortage now, but I'm, I'm, I'm growing so much because we're being inundated with clients that I'm always hiring. So, yeah, you know, yeah, the healthcare industry is shrinking. It seems. <laughs> yeah. So anybody who needs a job, yeah. Lots of there yeah the healthcare is the way to definitely the way to go. Oh. If anyone yeah. is thinking they're teetering like, Hmm, should I go into healthcare? Or should I go into this industry? Healthcare? Yes. Number one. Definitely. <laughs> Most it, definitely. It, Please. Hands, hands down. Yeah. Yeah. In I, I imagine you have them in the U.S. too. We have supervised injection sites and where, you know, they can get clean needles. And, but they're usually in an area where they're residential. But do they... But before they get to that part of it, do you think the injection sites really help or do they just prolong the issue? So I think they do a little bit of both. They help in one area so that they don't cause issues in another area meaning the transmission of HIV, hepatitis, and those areas. So I have a needle exchange location right next door to one of my buildings. So I think it's good there. I'm gonna leave it at that. I think it's really a good idea. Okay. Because if you're, if someone is going to get high, they're going to get high regardless, whether they have a clean needle or they have, most of them would like to have, I'm going to say a, a clean needle. Yeah. Yeah. But mm. there are, I'm sure there are some that really do not care. But We're having an issue in, in our city with some of these sites because they're particularly one that's downtown <clears throat> it's near near a hospital but it's also near residential there's lots of new apartment buildings nearby and people can't people are afraid to come out of their homes because they're they're in the lobbies they're kind of okay. it's it's it feels very dangerous to a lot of people in that area near the injection site. So they want to take away the injection site, obviously. But is there a win there? Is there a solution like a win-win solution where both sides can win? You know, I can understand how 
someone would would feel about that. If if it's your home and you have people standing around that some people consider the less desirable. I completely understand. You know, you I'm going to say I had a problem when I opened my last location. People wouldn't I had a hard time because I had to tell people what I was using the building for. Mm. And once I told them what I was using, what I wanted to use the building for, they was like, oh, no, there are going to be people standing around. Just what you said. There are going to be people standing around and we don't want those type of individuals all just standing all around on the street. That's, that's what they said. That's what the landlord said and the building manager said. And I said, I don't run my, my buildings like that. My people don't stand around outside of the building. So some people allow that. Some mm-hmm. people don't. I'm one of those who don't. Either my people are inside the building or they're outside. I have a designated location. If they're on breaks, they stand at a certain location to smoke. Then they come back in the building and then they leave. They're, I'm very respectful of the other tenants around that I share the buildings with. Because I understand how that looks, how uncomfortable it can be. Because my clients are not in suit and tie, (laughs) like maybe the rest of the tenants are. Or in that particular case, the residents that live in that area are. And it's very uncomfortable. I can completely understand that. And given the fact that that population are known for possibly stealing and, you know, those type of things. I can completely understand that. So that is really a conversation for whoever the building owner is Mm. or the property manager is to have with them, I, I would say, to let them know how the tenants are feeling. Yeah. Yeah. So, so what do you say to the people who, have absolute no sympathy for those who continue to feel swallowed in that hole of addiction, and especially if it does lead to homelessness. You know, I honestly would say shame on them. They have no compassion. (laughs) They have absolutely no compassion, and they don't understand that it is a disease. And it's, it's just like, you know, I've had so many people that have said that they were with a friend and they said, try this. Hmm. And they, they tried it and they were hooked. Hmm. Just as simple as that. Just as simple as that. Scary. And they couldn't stop. Just as simple as that. Or in in my situation, my son had 
16th tool for braces was given pain pills. Oh, dear. Mm -hmm. And that's how it happened. Simple as that. So many adults, so many kids, as simple as that. They had an operation, as simple as that. Pain pills. That's how you get addicted. Yeah, they see the highest concentration of drugs are painkillers. Simple as that. I mean, I take them all the time for arthritis, so... <laughs> But I, but I try not to take more than I, you know, I mm -hmm. need to, right? Or supposed to. Yep. And I had absolutely no, I, no idea. None. Yeah. Yeah. Because I imagine it gets hid, they hide it pretty well. I know yep. even from hard. alcohol, even yep. though you can smell alcohol, but they do mask it pretty well. They're really well. gifted at masking. Mm -hmm. uh, until it's too late until, until it's, it's late. just until it's just there's no way they don't i guess when they're they're masking part doesn't doesn't matter anymore that's i guess right <laughs> get to right mm -hmm. but yeah that's a good point because they are very good at masking it so you don't know if your best friend is high yes right be hiding it yeah yeah. So for those people who don't understand, who have no sympathy, shame on you because something eventually, you know, will probably happen in your life. And then you'll understand it. Yeah. That light bulb for you will go off and you'll understand. And you'll have that aha moment. And you'll say, wow. You could almost treat it like a chronic illness. Mm hmm. It's, it's kind of like uh, the hidden chronic illness. <laughs> right. So how can anyone really help? How, I mean, we can't just give them money on when they ask for it on the street, but how is we as individuals in a society help try to, just on our day-to-day, -day, I mean, the picture is so big, we're not going to do it overnight, but how can we help on our daily routines? You know, be supportive, give people encouraging words, you know, words of kindness, words of support. They definitely do help people. You, you never know when someone is at their lowest or their weakest point. You never know, especially a stranger. You never, you never, ever know when someone may need that, oh, you're beautiful today, or you're so kind, or whatever it is. Because someone at home may be beating them, mm. or, you know, someone may have told them that they're nothing. And your words may mean everything to them. Could save a life. That's right. It could be at the verge of suicide. Yeah. I've heard stories of that happening too, where just so even many a smile. It's like that. So many people come to us saying that they wanted to end their life. And it's, it's you, you just have no idea how many people have told us that someone said something to them or spoke life into them or breath into them. It's, it's wow. just, oh. Gosh, I have so many stories. It's just ridiculous. 
and they just say that they were just so tired and they talked to someone on a bus stop or they in an Uber or or on a bus or something and they had a wonderful conversation with someone or they went into this church. And so wow. we gave them a message or an encouraging word. And it could be, it was a complete stranger. That is beautiful. And I think that's the best way to end this <laughs> broadcast. So thank you so much, Nicole. You're welcome. I am so glad to have you here to talk about this topic.